Let me read you a quote from Ben Stein. Does everybody know who Ben Stein is? Journalist, actor. He's in The Mask, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, a variety of other movies. You would recognize him if you don't have a picture of him, if you Googled him. Uh, ben Stein, someone asked him one time, Ben, how do I get rich quick? <clears throat> ben answered, I can't tell you anything in a few minutes that will help you get rich quick. I can tell you how to feel rich, which is far better than being rich. Be grateful. That is the only totally reliable get-rich-quick scheme. Gratitude is riches. He went on to say that gratitude is also tax-free. So you can have all the gratitude in the world. Nobody's going to take a portion of it. You know what I mean? This morning we're going to uh, explore, this is chapter 6 in... um, the blessed, beyond blessed, but even more so, it's all over the scriptures, is this idea of gratitude. And my proposal to you this morning is that a human being who's flourishing in life, one who is truly, deeply satisfied, whose life is substantial and meaningful, one who is living and moving without lack, but is always has what they need, and, and one who is generous, and one who is, uh, has a capacity to love people deeply and love people in a meaningful way, is one who is a deeply grateful person. To be the opposite, I would say the opposite of gratitude, the antithesis of it, would be entitlement. The one who is entitled to uh, everything is one who is always stealing, one who's always taking, and one who is never, never, ever satisfied. And to be one who is entitled, to be one who is ungrateful, is to live that way. The irony of an entitled person is they think, only if I could get what I feel entitled to, only if I could get what I want, then finally I would be satisfied. But the reality is, is that from a place of ungratefulness, from a place of entitled, entitlement, even when we get what we think we want, there's always something else. And we live in this rhythm, in this never-ending cycle of ungratefulness. And from ungratefulness, there's great chaos and great harm and great isolation that comes for our lives. And as Jesus followers, we don't believe that that's what God has for us. We believe that God has a great life of satisfaction, whether we have lots of riches or not, that we would be able to be people who are deeply grateful for whatever it is that we have because we're so aware of the goodness that is God and what he's doing in our lives. And I would propose to you, and this is why I think it's so significant for us to have this conversation, this setting, because there are a lot of people in a lot of other settings that are talking about gratitude and the power of it. But the church, those who are following Jesus, should be the most grateful people in the world. Gratitude is a true marker of spiritual maturity. So let's look at the scriptures. Before we get there, I want to read Uh, some of what research science is telling us about gratitude. Four things. Number one, when we're grateful, when we're expressing gratitude, there's a, a wiring and a firing that's happening in our brain that sends messages to the bliss center, which causes happiness. Now, what we have to understand is everything that we're doing, everything that we're exposed to, everything that we're intaking, everything that we're looking at is causing wiring and firing to happen. And the brain is creating neural pathways. What the brain is trying to do is process and understand the world around us. The brain, apart from the soul, our emotional being that's thinking about morality and ethics and love and those things, the brain can determine those things, but it in and of itself is not necessarily making those decisions. But what the brain is trying to do is 
preserve as much energy as possible. So as it's creating these neural weights, because it's trying to preserve our life, when it's creating these neural pathways, it's just doing it based on whatever is triggering and firing and wiring. Now, when we're exposed to anything, triggering and wiring and firing is happening and neural pathways are being created. The problem is, is when we choose to indulge in certain things and we choose to be in certain relationships and wiring and firing is happening and pathways are being created, if those things are not actually good for us long term, if we were not created for them, if we cannot sustain them, then they'll leave us wanting more and more and more, feeling more and more at a deficit, feeling more and more unsatisfied, feeling more and more unwhole. unwhole. They'll actually create great destruction and, and emotional chaos and a lot of that is tied to depression and anxiety. And what gratitude has taught us is that it fires and it wires, just the act of being grateful, it fires and it wires in the same capacity that wiring and firing is happening when we're indulging in the things that we enjoy most. But gratitude, unlike some of the things that we enjoy most that taste good in a moment or feel good in a moment, but leave us longing for more, doesn't ever leave us longing for more. And it's an uh, un- Uh, ending resource. And what scientists have determined, what's crazy, they're really, really in awe of this because they've studied humanity at all different points of life and ages, even at the youngest age, that they're seeing this desire and this capacity for even infants to express gratitude and they're determining it's not just this skill set that we create or this place that we arrive to based on our age or our proficiency, but it was something that we were created for. That we were created to be in community and receive good things from a source. And when we receive those things and we recognize those things, that firing and wiring is happening, that sending messages to our bliss center that allows us to be truly happy and satisfied people. Now that's really, really good news because the truth is, is a lot of the things that are wiring and firing that are sending messages to our bliss center only can last and satisfy us for so long. And the question is, is when they stop satisfying us, when they stop sending messages to the bliss center, then where do we go and what do we do for happiness and joy and satisfaction? And what I think God is trying to reveal to us this morning is that we have this resource, we have this capacity that can't be taken from us, that can't be stolen from us, that is never going to hurt us, that's only good for us, that can bring us to this place of happiness and satisfaction and joy, and that is gratitude. Number two or research science has revealed to us about gratitude, is that it fosters cognitive restructuring by invoking positive thinking. So a wiring and a firing can happen in just a moment, and it can happen from just one thing that we have at one moment of exposure or indulgence. But we're not people who are sustained just by moments. We have to build a life, a structure, a system for our organization and our organism, our being to be healthy. If you look at the human body, the anatomy, it's not just this like crazy, chaotic uh, organism that's put together randomly. It's very specific. It's very structured. And what gratitude is telling us, what research science about gratitude is telling us is when we practice gratitude and we make the discipline of it, what it's doing is it's restructuring and reframing the way that our brain and our soul operate. What gratitude does, like if any of you, has anybody ever remodeled a house before? Hope it went well for you. What you do 
when you buy a house or a property, you know, a beater or something that's down and you see the business opportunity, you don't buy it and then sell it the same way. It's not worth any more than you bought it for. What you do is you tear down all the things that are rotten and old and decayed and rusted and you put new things in there so that the house is of more value and the house is attractive and beautiful and worth more money. And what's happening when we express gratitude is there's that same tearing down of old, rotten, dead, sinful things inside of us and a restructuring, a rebuilding, a remodeling of the good things that we are capable of. And God can work with that framework to fill that house and give it meaning and value. And on the opposite end of things, when many of us get into a cycle or rhythm of ungratefulness, we're continuing to cultivate a brain, a framework, a soul that is deteriorating, that's decaying, that's falling apart, and we're unable to be fully human and flourish and understand what we're meant to live for in the first place. Pretty amazing what gratitude can do, right? Number three... I think this will bring encouragement to to many of us. When we practice gratitude, research has revealed to us that it reduces fear and anxiety by regulating stress hormones. So what we've understood, because there's, in the phenomenon of gratitude in a really formal way is relatively new to research science. There's been a a specific group of people for about 15 years who have been doing really in-depth, specific studying and experimenting. But what they've understood as they've been um, researching and studying is how powerful gratitude is, an actual state and reality of thanksgiving, being aware of the good things in our life, and, and genuinely emotionally recognizing those things. And they've relayed that information and that research onto medical professionals. And medical professionals have been seeing the results of the science, how impactful gratitude can be for a human being, especially in the areas of fear, anger, stress, depression, and anxiety. So what medical professionals are doing, whether it's doctors uh, like at Kootenai Health or psychiatrists or psychologists, counselors, whatever it might be, real professionals, what they're doing is they're still prescribing medicine, and and that is what that is, and uh, medicine can be used in a good way. But even bigger than that, even more importantly than that, what they're prescribing is that people would practice, that they would create gratitude exercises in their life, and they would make a regimen and a discipline of doing that. And that is a prescription for renewal and transformation and treatment of their sickness or illness. And what's crazy is you don't need a prescription. You don't need a refill slip. You don't need to pay for it. It's just inherently accessible to us. We were created for a capacity with it. And if we can access it, if we can tap into it, if we can have real genuine awareness of the good things in our life, regardless of what our circumstances are, and we can, even if it's one thing, and we can work that, and we can move it, and we can remember it over and over again, and we can practice it, it will begin to shape and transform who we are in the deepest part of our being in a real substantial and powerful way. It will set us free from anxiety and depression and fear. And that's not just like a theological presentation to you. That's what the natural world is telling us. The natural world created by our creator. Number four, and this is related in in some ways, but it enhances dopamine and serotonin, neurotransmitters for happiness. So when, it's crazy, this is the thing about gratitude, you could be in a really, really bad moment, like emotionally just all over the place, and have the courage and the capacity to recognize something you're grateful for and express it. 
and it's wild, it immediately disarms whatever you were bent out of shape over. Now, that may not be sustainable because you might not yet have the courage to continue to practice that and exercise that and keep your focus on that. But try like being upset and being angry and express gratitude at the same time and see which one wins. <laughs> gratitude will win every time. Because the dopamine and the serotonin that comes from gratitude is far greater than the dopamine and the serotonin that can come from a substance or an angry emotion or a hurtful emotion or uh, unforgiveness or whatever it might be. Those things provide dopamine and serotonin to us, but they're a never-solving uh, resource that we can't ever like totally sustain and keep our hands on. And they ultimately leave us wanting more and more and more and leave us feeling emptier and emptier. But gratitude is the dopamine and the serotonin trigger that will actually satisfy us and fulfill us and make us true happy and it's ours we have it already we have access to it and no one can take it away from us this is the uh, another unique thing in terms of research science and then we'll jump to the scriptures from a social reality uh, there's a social phenomenon about gratitude and what we have to understand especially and maybe you're cognitively aware of this maybe you're not but we're created for community so everything that's good has to be understood through the lens and the context of community. If we have something that we like in our life and it's not cultivating community, no matter how good it feels to us, it's not good for us, okay? And this is what uh, research science has told us about practicing gratitude. When we express gratitude, in our brain and in our soul, we perceive ourselves to be likable. You ever been around a really grateful person before? You just like want to be around them. They're really, really, really likable people. And then when we perceive ourselves to be likable, what their studies have shown is that people who were previously ungrateful and didn't perceive themselves to be likable, when they choose gratitude and perceive themselves to be likable, they have confidence in social situations. How many of you have ever felt uncomfortable socially? I have a friend who is in the Air Force and he's kind of an old soul and he wanted to like start writing letters to each other. I was like, we could text. <laughs> so we started writing letters to each other, which has been really awesome. If you're not, you know, I would encourage you to bring letter writing back in your life. It's really, really special. Um, but I wrote in my letter to him, I was like, dude, sometimes I feel like a newborn deer socially. Like I'm just like all over the place, don't know what to do, can't handle it. But when we, we express gratitude, we perceive ourselves to be more likable. We're confident socially. And then just the natural progression and reward of that is that we have genuine friendship and community. And there's this crazy reality is that, is community one and or two? Whatever, you understand what I'm trying to say. This is my third sermon, so we'll go for it. Community, we all want community. It's part of the reason why you show up here on Sundays. 
and why you go to city groups. You don't necessarily go because you feel like Connor is such an incredible speaker or whatever, yada, yada, yada. There's something about coming together with a group of people. It's why you go to the places that you go to on your choice and your free will, your free agency, that you find pleasure and enjoyment. It's why you gather at concerts, all this different stuff. At the end of the day, we're searching for community. It's what our soul longs for most. And what research science is telling us is when we become grateful people, we perceive ourselves more likable and confidence begins to build inside of us. And the natural byproduct of that likability and that perception of likability as a result of our confidence is that we can create genuine, sustainable, substantial community. Just by being a grateful person. You don't have to look a certain way You don't have to be a certain age. You don't have to be a certain gender. You don't have to come from a certain socioeconomic background. You don't have to have any of those things because gratitude transcends all of those realities. Gratitude is something invisible that's very, very real and powerful that lives inside of us and it can live inside of each and every person. Each and every one of us was actually created for it. So the good news is if we can be grateful people, we can truly find real community. Are you convinced on gratitude yet? Hopefully. Okay, to the scriptures. Uh, our main scripture this morning is going to be First Thessalonians 5, verse, is verses 16 through 18. So if you want to turn there on your phone or in your Bible, it will also be on the screen. But <clears throat> before we get there, I'll give you a little bit of kind of like uh, an overview of the whole narrative of scripture regarding the positive affirmation of gratitude. So in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Psalms, which are uh, really songs to God, songs of worship and praise, one of the key ingredients and the key themes to the psalm, the psalmist is this idea of thanksgiving. In Psalm 100, it actually says that we enter into the presence of God. We encounter and we experience God from a place of thanksgiving, from a place of gratitude. And that's, again, in the Psalms, that's a common theme. But even before the Psalms and even after the Psalms in terms of that place in the Old Testament, we see this, um, there's this reality going on where God has made promises and covenants to bless his people, Israel. And Israel chooses to worship other idols. And despite their worshiping of other idols, God continues to pursue them and restore a relationship with them. And there's this kind of back and forth. And as God restores relationship with him and he acts faithful and loving toward them despite their uh, sin and their idol worship, what God often says to them is, remember what I've done for you. What gratitude really is, is the practice of remembering the good things that God has already done. So this is not like a a new age, like just a scientific idea. This is a deeply rooted biblical theme and concept. Even in uh, Jesus's life, Bobby was presenting communion earlier. I think about when Jesus is at that final dinner with his disciples, he takes the cup and this is what it says, he gives Thanks. Now, if you, there are any people who drink red liquids in the room, wine, <laughs> you might give thanks for your wine. That would seem natural. 
But this was not just Jesus like having some wine and feeling good about it. Jesus knew what that wine symbolized. He knew what inevitably was on the other side of it. His wrongful death and persecution for sins that he did not commit so that you and I could have a relationship with him. And we know that the grief that Jesus felt and kind of the resistance because he knew how hard that sacrifice was going to be to see through. But even despite the pain of that, as he's pouring and drinking of the cup and giving it to his disciples, there's this deep sense of gratitude within him because he trusts God and he knows that even though he he has to go to the cross, that that's just a small part of the story, that on the other side of the cross is this restoration and redemption of all of humanity. And then we come here uh, in 1 Thessalonians, and I'll also note, before we read this, uh, I was, I know I had observed as I just have read the scriptures that the apostles, when they write their letters to churches, often at the beginning, they write a statement of thanksgiving and gratitude. And I was curious how many of the letters actually have that. And I, don't, I didn't write down the exact number. I wrote down which ones they are. But it's about 90% of all the apostle letters, which is the latter half of the New Testament, which is significant to note because here's the reality. Those apostles, Paul, James, um, Paul writing to Timothy, they could have expressed great complaint to the churches as a part of their letters. Because they were going through incredible trials. They were being persecuted. Paul was shipwrecked and stoned and all those things. It would have been very natural for Paul like we do on Facebook. It's like this platform to rant and complain. Like these would have, this would have been Paul's opportunity because he's operating on these churches' behalf. He's trying to lead them. Often what leaders do when they're emotionally unhealthy is they leverage their pain to make the people that they're serving feel guilty so that they can have this sense of success and, and meaning. But Paul and James and all those people, they don't do that. They're so deeply free from themselves and they're so, they have such a deep conviction of the goodness of God despite what they're going through and how much they love those churches. They want to immediately express to them that they're grateful and they're thankful for. I want to have that. This deep gratitude that regardless of what life throws at me, no matter how unfair or how undesirable, this awareness that what I'm experiencing now is just a small part of the story and the story's gonna change and God is gonna restore and redeem eventually. This is what it says in 1 Thessalonians verse, or chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. It says, I'll read it from up here. Rejoice always. That's a high standard. Pray without ceasing. Also a high bar. Especially if you think that prayer has to happen with your eyes closed. <laughs> Don't be praying in the car with your eyes closed, you know what I mean? <laughs> Give thanks in all circumstances. High bar. Because the reality is, and this is why we become ungrateful, not all of our circumstances we're registering are worthy of gratitude and thankfulness. And what the Apostle Paul is not saying is that we should be thankful for everything that happens to us or everything that we do. Because we're human beings and we're in community with human beings and there are evils and there are injustices that happen to us that are not good that we don't need to be thankful for. But despite those things, despite the pain of this world, despite the evil and the injustices and the things that happen to us or the things that we do that cause great damage, 
we still have a God who's supreme above all those things, who's intimately and affectionately involved with us, who's trying to, if he could just get our attention in the right way, trying to restore and redeem and make right everything that's sinful that's ever happened. So what Paul is saying, and Paul has the right to say this in light of what Paul has experienced, is even though things seem to be falling apart around you, even though there's chaos, even though there's injustice, even though there's all those things, that God is still near, and just give it a little time, wait a bit longer, position yourself properly before him with gratitude, and he'll begin to reveal to you that he's working on your behalf to restore and make everything right. But this is what it goes on to say. That's a big measure. But then he says this. This is crazy, both very challenging, both very liberating. He says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How many of you want to do God's will for your life? Now, if you're anything like me, when you think about God's will, you think about uh, a job, you think about a place, you often think about a relationship. And we measure whether or not we're within the context of God's will based on those things. And and God has those things for us as part of what it means to be human, but those things are secondary to the actual primary, proper theological understanding of what God's will is for our life. There are two specific places in the New Testament that talk about God's will in a really explicit way. And one of them talks about our holiness, which has nothing inherently to do with our circumstances or situations or relationships. Holiness is an internal reality and posture. It's a commitment and a conviction to be right before God, regardless of what's going on outside of us. And then here, gratitude. Which again is very challenging because a lot of us, we get really, really excited when things are going well, when our circumstances are right, when our position is right, when we're in the right city or the right place, the beaches of Hawaii, we think we're in God's will. But the problem is, is you can't live in Hawaii forever. And if you've ever talked to someone who lives in Hawaii, they have a different experience of Hawaii than you and I do. My point is, is like, those things are either actually underwhelming when we experience them long enough or people or jobs or places are taken from us. And the problem is, is if we put our state of gratitude and our contingency of gratitude upon those things, determining those things to be God's will for our life or not as primary things, when they're taken from us, then we have a decision to make. Are we outside of God's will or are we still within God's will? And most of us, when those things are taken from us, begin to register and wonder, am I still within God's will or not? And because we thought primarily that people and places and jobs and all these natural, they're good things, but they're not primary things. We thought that that's what was God's will for us was not. We become really, really ungrateful and unhealthy people when those things are taken from us. Because honestly, inevitably, something will be taken from you or something undesirable will happen. And if we put our sense of gratitude and our sense of understanding God's will in that, then what do we have to work with from there? But the good news, if we can have the courage to believe it and take it in, is that God's will is not that we would put our hope and our trust in people and places and things and all of that stuff primarily, but that we would just trust him regardless of what happens around us, that we know that he loves us and he's for us and he's working on our behalf. And regardless of our circumstances, that there's a story that's being told that ultimately ends in the restoration and renewal of all of humanity, including you and I, if we would put our trust in him. 
And when you get into that place, what happens is chaos could be going on around you, but you have your focus, true, genuine affection in your mind and your emotions and your soul upon Jesus. And even though you begin to feel the weight and the pull of some of those things, ultimately they don't have great power over you because Jesus gives you the strength and the solidity to stand firm in those moments in that time. And it's just because we recognize that he's ultimately good and gratitude wells up inside of us. It's not something you can buy. You don't have to earn it. It's inherently ours. Now, a couple warnings from the scripture now. You ready? Do we have to deal with these things? It says this in Romans chapter 1, if you put that scripture up there. It says this in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 22, and I'll read a little bit more after that. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them, a.k.a. Hawaii. For his invisible attributes, or Coeur in the summer, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived by all people ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Now this is the the key scripture here. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish, heart, foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. This is what goes on to say, uh, and Paul gets really, really redundant here because he's trying to get the point across. But it says, Therefore God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the, crea- the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. My point is this. We see a lot of chaos in the scripture. It's uh, a, a glimpse into the depravity of humanity, what we're capable of apart from God. And I think that hangs on this reality, whether or not we're willing to recognize God as God and be grateful for his presence. The people that Paul is describing here, they were very aware of God. They saw it in the mountains, in the rivers, in the oceans. They saw it in the deserts. They had known throughout history. These are primarily Jewish people. They have heard the story of God's faithfulness to Israel for many, many years. So they knew about him. They knew of him. And we too all do, whether you're in here this morning or not, and you would say you're a Jesus follower, you've been made aware of the goodness and the realness and the power of God as you look at the creation around you. But whether we spin off into chaos and destruction is contingent upon whether we'll recognize God as good and the source of all good things in our life, higher than we are, capable of more than we're capable of, willing to inherit and receive the good things that he has for us. I want to talk to you about two things in closing as to why I think we actually become ungrateful. Two things, you ready? Yes. Number one. Water break real quick. 
untouched. Number one, why we become ungrateful. We didn't get what we want. Now, this is super ironic. It's very real, but it's, it's really ironic. Let me ask you this question. How many of you, life has gone as what you planned and thought it would go? Uh, that's what I thought. It's been 100% in all the gatherings. For all of us, life shifted, it moved, the story changed at some point in time. Someone we loved passed away. Someone we loved hurt us. We did our best to do our best and to accomplish what we thought we were accomplished, but it just didn't go the way we thought it would. Life doesn't go according to plan, and we all know that that's how life goes, but here's the problem. There's this cognitive dissonance inside of us because when that happens, something inside of us is in turmoil. Because we thought, even though we, we all know that things undesirable and unplanned are going to happen, still, when they happen, we begin to question God and question our own reality. We become discouraged, depressed, all these different things. And the reason for it is not because we're inherently, well, it's not because I had these theological things going on in my head and then I put the guard on so I didn't say them because they were wrong. Um, it's because we thought there's something subconscious inside of us that thinks that things are going to go smoothly and everything is going to go right. That we're going to get whatever it is that we want. And it just doesn't happen. And when it doesn't happen, the first person we blame, typically, is God. And we become bitter and we become hard and we become cold, and we isolate ourselves, we hide ourselves, and we become ungrateful, and chaos ensues. Is it possible that maybe you found yourself in that place because life did not go the way that you thought it would or wanted to? And I totally understand, like, I have a preference as to how life will go. But I know that it's not going to happen that way. In John chapter 16, Jesus says this. He says, you will have trouble. And part of me is like, I wish that wasn't there. Like, let's, let's cut that one out. Because I don't want to have trouble. I want to be naive. But we're going to have trouble. That scripture goes on to say, he says, but put your trust in me, for I have overcome the world. We can be grateful even when it seems like the world is falling apart around us because it is falling apart around us, but we believe in Jesus and we don't believe that he's just this mythological religious figure, but we actually believe that he is God and his act on the cross and the preceding resurrection was the very act that will one day restore entirely and officially forever all of humanity. And if you and I would just fix our affection upon him, we'll get to enter in and access all of it. Number two, 20 seconds, here we go. You got to lube it up, you know what I mean? Get it going. It's 1230. It's time for me to be done. Okay, number two. 
<laughs> this is my, uh, my best interpretation as to why <clears throat> we become ungrateful. And I think it's because we can't accept charity. How many of you enjoy accepting charity? You love a handout. You love when you're financially in the tightest position of your life, you love going to people and asking them for money. Didn't think so. Gratitude comes from the Latin word gratis. Gratis can otherwise be translated as grace. It's a very common theological word for us who are following Jesus. We believe the reason why we can follow Jesus is because of God's grace towards us. He so loved us, he gave us his son. Now, grace is translated in the Greek, in the scriptures, as charis, with a C-H. Charis is where we get the word charity. And the reality is, for each and every one of us, no matter how much wealth we have, beyond our natural state, our natural circumstances, our soul has a deficit. That's why you see rich and famous and celebrities go wild and crazy. Because what that is revealing to us is no matter how much physical wealth we have, there's a greater significance, there's a greater uh, space inside of us in our soul that can have a deficit, that can have a debt, and it can't be fixed, it can't be filled by the natural world. And the truth is, what we believe as Jesus followers is that debt can only be provided for, can only be charitably given to by God and God alone. And I think our ungratefulness, when we come to a place of ungratefulness, is just not us revealing to ourselves that we have a bad attitude, although that is true. I think it more is revealing to us is that we have a problem with understanding grace. We can't accept a handout from God. Now, when we think about handout, it has such a negative connotation. But that has to shift this morning. Because in the kingdom of God, charity is not a negative thing. It's absolutely necessary. And we don't have this scarlet letter on us when we receive charity. We're not marked as lesser beings in the kingdom of God because we were needed of provision by someone that we couldn't pay back which is often what happens in society. When you see someone on the side of the road with their hand up, their thumb up, asking for money with a sign, and they need charity, most of us either drive by and don't do anything at all, or if we give them money, there's a sense of like, you're a lesser figure in society than me. 
And, and a lot of times, even if we give money, we go on and we don't even know what their life looks like. But a lot of us are thinking their life will probably never, ever change. They're probably condemned and stuck to that situation forever. But the reality in the kingdom of God is God gives us his grace. He imparts this provision to us that we can't create on our own, that we can't buy, and we don't have to pay back. And it's supposed to take us from that place of begging as if we are this person who is in desperate need of something to one who is a sovereign, not sovereign, that's not the right word, to one who is a, a, a right standing citizen in this new kingdom who's equal to everyone around them. I specifically, I didn't say this last gathering because I couldn't process it and articulate it the right way, but I feel like this is what I'm supposed to say in this gathering. Hopefully this makes sense to someone. The charity of God is like this. If you're here today and your marriage is in total chaos, just ruined, you think, the charity of God is this. God wants to bring healing to that and restoration to that, but not just give you a escape. Where it's like, we just got to get out of this hole and then just, he wants to take that from death, from total ruins, ashes, so to speak, to splendor and beauty and wonder. Because here's what happens. We dig ourselves a hole that we can't dig ourselves out of in life, especially in our soul. And we're just waiting like, God, just help me just barely get out of the hole. And then we walk around with life with this limp as if we're like this wounded being because of what happened behind us. But that's not a proper receiving of God's charity. God's charity is, I want to take you from death. I want to take you from destruction. I want to totally release you from it and completely restore your life. So if you're married, maybe you've gone through divorce or your marriage is totally in chaos right now and you're just holding on by a thread. What God wants to do is not just give you like the ability to tolerate each other and keep it together for your kids, but he wants to restore and renew your romance and your love for one another. That you would one day be more in love than you were on your wedding day. That's the charity of God. Will you receive it this morning? Why don't you stand with me? I'll close with one last scripture. And then a couple practical things. Let me say this about charity in what I think is maybe the problem of gratitude. And this is the invitation this morning. The problem with charity when we accept something from someone that we don't feel like we can pay back, we still feel like we owe them something. And then it creates this dependency upon them. Even if they're far from you. Have you ever, someone ever given you something and then years later you run into them and you like feel like embarrassment or you like don't know what to do because you're like, immediately you think, oh, I owe you something. And like we hate that feeling more than anything. We would just rather like not even rely upon people for anything. So we just isolate ourselves. 
And again, the same thing happens with God. We realize only God can really fix this. Only God can really give me what I need to be set free from this. But I'm not willing to be vulnerable before God. And I don't actually think that he wants to just give me things that I don't ever have to repay. So I isolate myself from him. I hide myself from him. I don't want to be dependent upon him. And that's craziness. From the beginning of time, God created us. God did not create us as like with this expectation that we would be these performers to impress him and like if we didn't that he was going to condemn us and judge us lowly and send us and exile us off. God created us with a great sense that we are less than him. Beautiful and wonderful but need to be dependent upon him and be in relationship with him. So that is our original created existence. And in order back, in order to enter back into it, we have to accept his charity. And it's not a charity that comes again with a scarlet letter. It's a charity that comes with a crown. This is what Jesus says in the Matthew 11, chapter 28. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says this, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. All those who are tired is what another translation says. Do you feel tired this morning? If you have become an ungrateful person, often what comes with that is, again, great depression, great anxiety, and tiredness. And Jesus says, come to me, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What Jesus is saying is you can depend upon me. This idea of a yoke is an agricultural idea which I am far from familiar with. I haven't spent much time on a farm. But it's this idea that two oxen who were plowing a field would have a yoke that would keep them together. And if they were on the same page, if they were in one kind of mind and one desire, then that yoke would keep them together and they would be much better plowing than they would be if they were on their own. But often what would happen is two oxen would uh, not be on the same page. They wouldn't want, you know, they wouldn't want to be near each other. So they would go in opposite directions and that yoke would break and it would cause great destruction. And now they're isolated again and they're off on their own. And when we are not able to accept God's charity, it's like we're saying, God, I don't want to take your yoke upon me. I have different desires. I have different intentions. I have a different sense of what it means to be human. And I'm just here to tell you that honestly, that will lead to great destruction and chaos in isolation in your life. But you have great reason to be grateful this morning because Jesus says, come to me. This, if you're heavy laden, if you're tired, if you're burdened, if you're depressed, if you're anxious, if you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling hopeless, if you're feeling like life is meaningless, if you're feeling like you got no more reason to live, let me interrupt all that noise and chaos inside of you right now and say, Jesus, Jesus has done everything to set you free from that reality. He's given, this is the other thing. Give me, give me a couple more minutes, okay? Brunch can wait. 
gratis can also be translated as freedom. (laughs) The gift that God has for us is actual freedom, not slavery. But we have to be willing to say, God, I need you. Not just today in this moment, but forever. Will you accept that invitation? Does that all make sense? Okay. Okay, can I give you three practical things really, really quickly, and then I'll leave you alone? I'll let you go. Seriously, I only do, I'm way over, but I'm doing this because there's grace, and it will help you. (laughs) Okay. Number one, in terms of gratitude, emote which really is, and this comes from a a lady's TED Talk that I watched, and it was really good, so I'm just going to steal it, if that's okay. Emote. What she was saying is, in order to be truly grateful, there has to be a real emotion of gratitude within us. And we all have, if you have breath in your lungs and you believe that God is who the Bible says that God is, you have great reason for the emotion of gratitude. And if you're not willing to experience that or you're not experiencing that, I would say this, you probably need to fast or find some silence and solitude because there are voices and there are distractions in your world that are trying to convince you that God is not who he is and he's not worthy of our gratitude, but he absolutely is. You just have to create space in your life so that emotion become, can become real. And then she said this, once you have the emotion, you need to just simply extend your gratitude. Write a letter, make a phone call. Just say, I'm grateful for you. The crazy thing is you could, I might have said this earlier, I can't remember. You could be in the worst day of your life and say thank you genuinely to someone and something will shift in that moment. And her whole point is like, if we can make that a regular part of our daily existence, then that will totally shift and change our life. And gratitude is inherently meant to create social community. So we have to extend it. And then the third thing, and then you can go, is exercise. Now, my personal opinion is you should physically exercise because that's really good for your being. But that's not what she means. She's not talking about treadmills. Some of you think that's hell. I do too. (laughs) What she means by exercise is that we would practice it constantly. Emote, extend, exercise. And I dare you to see what God does in your life. I think he'll totally transform it and shift it. You'll never be the same.